the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. That the Christian faith is not about seeking our own good, but also about the good of others, and primarily about the good of others. So be others-minded, be others-centered, and make sure that what you do in the exercise of your freedom is beneficial, doesn't control or master me, would not stumble others, and at least would be edifying of others and would not lack edification. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. How often do you consider others when you exercise your freedom? You might think that it's yours to decide how to use. However, as a Christian, you are called to be a witness. Instead of seeking out what is best for you, do what is best for others. Examine your actions with the four questions that Pastor Gary outlines in today's message. Are your choices beneficial? Do they control or master you, cause others to stumble, or do they lift others? It might be your freedom to use, but it will affect many more people beyond yourself. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. There's a fourth question. Go to chapter 10. I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I want to put all this in context. Our freedom. Fourth question in chapter 10. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible. He uses that phrase again. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is constructive. Now, if you have a New King James or an ESV, it says, but not all things edify. So that's the fourth question on our list. Does it lack edification? And specifically, he's asking in terms of other people. Will this build other people up, or or will this have the opposite effect? And so it is an important question to ask. Does it lack edification? Again, if we answer yes to any of these questions, we are misusing our freedom. And so we have to recognize that in regards to this last question, our aim should be to build others up. That the Christian faith is not about seeking our own good, but also about the good of others, and primarily about the good of others. So be others-minded, be others-centered, 
and make sure that what you do in the exercise of your freedom is beneficial, doesn't control or master me, would not stumble others, and at least would be edifying of others and would not lack edification. All right, go back here to chapter 9 now. See if we can race through chapter 9. So Paul is going to now use some examples here about his own personal freedoms that he doesn't exercise, uh, just to give them an example of his own story. And at the same time, he's going to defend his apostleship, because apparently some are questioning, do you really have the authority to talk about all this, Paul? And so he's going to use himself as an example of freedoms and rights that he gave up. At the same time, he's going to be defending uh, his ministry as an apostle. So chapter 9, verse 1, he says, am I not free? No, I have freedom, in other words. He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, remember, Paul founded the church at Corinth, and he spent 18 months there ministering to them, building them up in their faith. So he's like, you know, I, I was with you for like a year and a half. Do you not know that I'm an apostle? And he says in verse 3, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Now, the argument he's going to make here is he has the right as the apostle that founded their church to be supported by them. The fact is that he's not going to be supported by them. So he's going to use this as an example. I've invested in you. I've poured my life into you. I never took a dime from you. I had the right to do it. You could have and should have supported me, but I chose not to have you support me financially. And I worked instead to support myself so that I would never be a burden on you. But I could have exercised my rights. So it's going to be an example here how he gave up his own rights. He says, he says this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? In other words, at, at, at your expense. Okay. He says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, that's Peter, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? He says, you know, basically says these other guys bring their wives along and the ministries where they serve support them and their families, their wives. Um, he says, you know, Barnabas and I, we chose not to work, but we could ask for support from you as well. In verse 7, he says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses. This is in Deuteronomy 25, 4. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Okay, so pause for a moment. So he's basically using examples. He says, look, you know, the, the farmer... Um, sows a vineyard and is able to eat grapes from the vineyard. A, sh- a shepherd is able to, you know, eat of the flock. Um, and then he uses the example here from Deuteronomy 25.4 that even when oxen were used to trample out the grain, 
they wouldn't muzzle the oxen. They would allow the oxen to eat as they were working. And so Paul's using this as an example. He goes, you know, I have the right to ask you to support me materially. You're the church I founded. You're the church I invested in. You could invest in me. I have the right to do this. But now he's going to give this as an example of, okay, but some freedoms we give up, some rights we give up for the benefit of others. He says, next, next verse, he says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. I have that verse underlined in my Bible right there. Those who <laughs> preach the gospel should have their... That's because of your generosity that the pastors are supported here because as we teach the gospel, we receive support from those that we are ministering to. That's what he says here. It's, it's all part of, uh, of the way that God desires it. So he goes on in verse uh, 15, but I have not used any of these rights. Now see, I'm not that spiritual, so I, I have to use that right. He goes, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And you know, honestly, those of us who feel a calling in ministry, we understand what he's saying here. It's like, you know, are there other things that we possibly could do? Possibly. But if we don't preach the gospel and we have a calling on our lives, then, then woe to us. And so he, he's taking it personally, as all should who are, who are in ministry. In verse 17, he says, If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Okay, so that's his whole argument. He's like, you know, I, again, I, I'm not taking anything from you. I could, but I, I give up my rights because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm trying to take advantage of them by asking you to support me. I could, but I won't. All right? If somebody's in a position to do that, it's a wonderful thing. I, I heard years ago that Rick Warren, after a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, after he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he made so much in the royalties that he decided no longer going to take any, any uh, salary from his church. And so, you know, that was a personal decision that he came to. And, you know, God bless him for, for uh, such a, a lucrative book deal. Um, I, I haven't written a book. And so, I, uh, so I, I don't, I'm not exercising that, that privilege there. Anyway, let's move on. Um, and so now, verse 19, he says, he says this. Though I am free and belong to no man, I'm free in Christ. He says, I make myself a slave to everyone. Note this. To win as many as possible. Notice how just consumed he is here, in a good way, with others. How focused are we on others? Is our faith just about us? He says, I'm free. But I make myself a slave. I do whatever I need to do to win as many as possible. He gives some examples. Verse 20. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now he, now he is a Jew. But what he's saying here is he would still participate in some of the feasts. Because he knows that in this way he'll be relatable to his fellow Jews. 
He goes on to say to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. He has a heart for his fellow Jews. They're strict according to the law. And he says, I, I, I wanted to be careful with the commandments of God so as to not offend and to be relatable to my fellow Jews. But notice in verse 21, he, he even says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I love that verse. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. By the way, notice the word some. He has no illusions that he's going to win all to Christ. He knows that there will be some who will come to faith through his influential life. And the same is true for you and me. Now, this is not a, this is not a game. You know, we, we know people, right? I hope we're not one of these kind of people. We know people who, they just become a chameleon. And wherever they are, they just become like everybody else just because they want to fit in. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, and if you, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, that faith often comes because you are relatable through relationships. Relatable through relationships. Okay, he's, he's not saying I change like a chameleon to adapt myself to whatever environment and therefore I become compromising to just be like everybody else so I can be everybody's buddy and I can be all politically correct and I can be accepted in whatever circle I go to. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is though he identifies with each person that he has the opportunity to befriend and he just connects with them on a level that would be relatable. We have to stop this mentality of pious Christianity, of walking around like, I'm too good for you, I'm too cool for school, you know, and I don't, I don't want to associate with you, okay? And they might be totally different, but those are the people that we're called to reach. So we can't have this mentality of exclusiveness, of just, you know, it, of being so removed from the world that we no longer know how to relate to it and connect to the very people who need Christ that you have. So he says, you know, when, when, I'm, when I'm with the Jews, I, I relate to them as Jews. When I'm with Gentiles, I relate to the Gentiles. I, I don't compromise myself. I don't do anything that would bring shame to Christ. But I am going to relate to them on some level where I can connect with them and thereby connect the cross of Christ. I hope that in your relationships and in your friendships and in your influence with coworkers and, and neighbors and that you find some entry point in their lives that does not cause you to compromise but allows you to connect. Okay? Connection, not compromise. Draw the line there and realize, okay, when my conscience and the commandments start to get violated, then, you know, no more connection. But at some point, we have to find an entry point of being able to be relatable enough that people will actually want what we have. Not in a salesman kind of a way, but just in a genuine kind of a way. That if we want people to know Christ, we're going to have to be a little relatable in a lost and dying world. And look for ways that you can connect and relate to people. You know, one of the things that I uh, started doing just, just because it, 
It was something when they needed, when my kids were playing Little League Baseball, and they just kind of needed dads to step out on the field and to help, you know, call the games. And so, I, you know, I did it. And then, and then after my kids moved on from Little League, you know, then, then I was asked, do you want to you umpire and get the uniform and the whole deal? So I did that and then went up to, the, you know, Babe Ruth League. And, so, and, the, and I'll tell you the reason why I continue to umpire. Not because I just love the game of baseball, but just because it was an awesome way for me to relate to people that otherwise I would never meet. Because, you know, I don't get out much. It's just, you know, you guys. And so it was good for me to get, you know, out into the culture and the community and just be able to relate to people. And we have to find ways that we can connect with people on a certain level. And this is what Paul is saying here. Verse 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Verse 24 to the end is a very important section. He says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Okay, so here's that the opening two questions we had, you know, what kind of freedom does a Christian have? And then the second question was, can I misuse my freedom and disqualify myself? And that's how he ends this chapter. Because his point is, you don't want to use your freedom to disqualify yourself. However, and then he makes this comparison of the Christian life to an athlete. This is a great section. Paul was a sports fan, friends. When you look through the epistles, he's making regular references to some athletic competition. In this case, he's talking about the races. And he talks about the games. You know, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And at this particular time, Corinth was the capital of the Isthmian Games. It was, it was like the Olympics. The Olympics were also happening at the same time. But the capital city for the Olympics was Athens. The capital city for the Isthmian Games was Corinth. And he's using sports analogy here, okay? Paul is a sports fan. He, Paul is the Skip Bayless of the New Testament. Three people know who Skip Bayless is. Great. All right. So, you know, but here he is, and he, he writes here, and he talks in different times in the epistles. He talks about running a race. He talks about competing. He talks about boxing. There's a reference here to boxing, all right? And, and he speaks of it as like the Christian life. And he draws on a modern parallel the athletic games here and being like an athlete to understand a little bit about the Christian life, running the race. And one of the things he says here is, number one, compete as an athlete to win. Compete as an athlete to win. All right? Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is not. You cannot live the Christian life from the stands. You have to get down on the field and get into the game. This is about participating in this race. The Christian life is like that. It is a journey. It is a race. And we are to be in this race to win. And the way that we win in this race, he says, giving us two terms, he says, you're going to have to go into strict training, he says in verse 25, 
And then he says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Now, this, this, this isn't like, you know, he's torturing himself, all right? What he's saying between these two phrases in verse 25 and 27 is this. He's saying we have to live a self-controlled life and a disciplined life. And anybody who's been an athlete at any level understands that if you really want to excel at your game, at your sport, you have to be disciplined and you have to be self-controlled. There's, there's, a, there's a, a workout regiment. There's a dietary regiment. There are, there's a, there are strict things that you must do if you want to be at the top of your game. And as Christians, we also have to be, in that sense, self-controlled and disciplined. There are some things in this life, because the prize is more important than our personal freedom sometimes, right? We're going to deny ourselves certain things. We're going to say no to certain things. We're going to say yes to other things. We're going to be careful about our discipline, our regiment, our lives, being self-controlled and disciplined people. Paul would say to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, he says, It is grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. All right, it is grace, Titus 2.12, it is grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and unholiness in this world. How is it that grace teaches us those things? Because, friends, if you, if you wrap your mind around grace, how much God has done for you and how much he has given us, though we never deserved it, how loving he is, forgiving he is, how he has given us the hope of eternal life, if we wrap our minds around and focus on the grace of God, it motivates us to holy living. When you begin to recognize and appreciate the love of your Father and how much God has done for us and given us his Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us, and you continue to make that your focus, it goes a long way to helping you to say no to ungodliness and worldliness in this present age while you wait for the blessed hope. Live self-controlled, disciplined lives because we're running a race. And he says here in the rest of this section that there is a prize worth running for. There is a prize worth running for. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, he talks about the prize also in Philippians 3.14. He defines it. And here's what he says. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. So heaven is the ultimate prize, right? We're, we're living out a Christian life and we're running this race not because we want to die well, but because we want to live well forever, okay? For Christians, this life is as bad as it gets. For non-Christians, this life is as good as it gets. But for a believer, this is as bad as it gets. I'm running the race not because of this life. I'm running the race for the prize that awaits me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Who else? Amen? Who else? Amen? Running the race for the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So live disciplined, self-controlled lives that we might press on to win that prize for which God has called us heavenward. Paul's closing words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 would be this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. May that be our testimony as well. Amen. The Apostle Paul's message to the church in Corinth was frank and powerful. They needed to make some changes. They knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? Don't let it take root. Instead, take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right and what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth and love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.